as Vern Gagne's all-star wrestling goes coast to coast and continent to continent. The greatest wrestlers in the world. He may be an apprentice carpenter, but I guarantee you he is a seasoned ring veteran. I've been hit with bar stools, bar rags, bar mates. I'm talking to you! They're scared that Hulkamania is still running wild. I got a big fat wife and nine kids at home, and I gotta feed them. And take a look at Jesse the body in real life. Open your hand once if you would. You want to see it? (laughs) This is absolutely unbelievable. Totally, completely out of control. He's coming in over the top. Hey, look out! Welcome in to AWA Unleashed. We are the preeminent number one podcast dedicated to telling the stories and reliving the memories of the American Wrestling Association. We're finally getting sunshine in Minnesota, which is good, but it sucks because you can see it coming through behind me. So I'm sorry. There's nothing I can do with it. Fortunately, you don't have to deal with me a whole lot today because you get to deal with these guys. You get to deal with Mick Karch. Hi, Mick. And you get to deal with Polish Joe. Hi, Polish Joe. Don't know that that's a bonus that they have to deal with Mick and I, but, you know, it is what it is. Exactly. I mean, that's like first prize? Are you kidding me? You know, what's second prize? Stomach flu? I think uh, that's where the term booby prize came in. There you go. Yeah, Coming from the big nipple, it makes sense. That's right. It makes sense. Hey, welcome in, guys and girls. We're going to have fun today. This is a show that we are going to get into maybe the greatest of all time. You, you can make the you can make the um, the argument. You can make the case. But we're going to talk about Nick Bockwinkel's greatest feuds. And there are a lot of them because, as, as Mick was saying before we went on, in his 17 years in the AWA, the man did everything. And... There are a couple of words that we can use to describe him, and we'll get to that in just a minute. But before we do, Mick, you want to? What are you? What are you wearing there? Uh, I, I am wearing the the authentic. There it is. As you are, the Texas Hangman. What are you trying to take my nipple gimmick over there, Tubbs, or what? Wow, <laughs> boy, you you got a set of nipples there, Chris. But. Uh, Thank you, Mike Moran, yes. the Texas Hangman. God love that guy. Man, is he supportive of this podcast and us. And he sent us the, the officially licensed Texas Hangman T-shirt. And, Chris, I understand as you put that shirt on, you got a little trepidation. You kind I of did. Took, I, got a little, little I, I got a little PTSD. I'm not going to lie. I was, I was a little scared. I, was, I, I figured that when I put it on, you know, he was going to be – like the boogeyman, he was going to be hanging out behind one of the walls, you know, going to lunge at me like that. But now, Mike, man, we love you. It's good, good people. Um, and if you also want to good, be good people, what you can do is you can subscribe. You can subscribe. And if you want to be even gooder people, yeah, if you want to be even gooder people, you can join our YouTube channel because, well, I... I'm going to let you guys talk because I'm like super dark and the whole thing is bothering me. Why don't you guys talk about it? And I'm going to put the graphic up on the screen. Wow. It's uh, you know, isn't it interesting, Joe? Doesn't it seem like every week now the show open, something gets fucked 
I, I just, you know, I don't know what it is where the, I thought it was the aura that was being, uh, you know, presented from uh, from Chris Tubbs. There. Well, you're blurry, so I mean, I, well, why I are you certainly you know, casting shade? Well, you can cast shade Not on me. visually too. either. I, you know, <laughs> upstairs is kind of blurry. Mick, you're looking gooder this week. Well, I, I really, I really appreciate that because that's my goal in life has always been to be gooder than the day before. And uh, thank you very much. We do have, we want to implore people not only to subscribe to our YouTube channel, but also the other subscriptions, the body slams and pinfalls uh, memberships that we have for the, uh, for the fans, for the viewers and listeners. Joe, I am so excited about this. It's going great already, right out of the get-go. Yeah, very good start. Uh, sign up for it. You can get a watch-along. Um, I think the best way to maybe describe the watch-alongs would be Mystery Science Theater meets the AWA. And there, there you can see the different ones. And then uh, we'll also have monthly live chats where uh, the three of us will be online and we'll answer your questions. It will be live. <laughs> yeah. How much, you know, how much gooder of an explanation can I give you? That was such a You get the thank you letter and the magnet and the stickers. It's all gooder as we go along. Yeah, it's a, it's it's a it's a lot gooder than the you know than what you would get if you didn't you know if you didn't pay. Here's the thing: for four ninety nine a month too, you can help support your favorite wrestling podcast. You can help support Mick Karch and Joe Chupik and and myself. Plus, when you do, email awaunleashedpodcast at gmail.com because that way I can I can get something in the mail to you as as a thank you. So I will do that. And uh, yeah, just email us because uh, that way it'll come straight to me and Joe and Mick and, and we'll get that out to you. So uh, we've also got a, uh, a new line of merchandise as well, guys. And, and this has been going good. Like people have really liked uh, the, the new line of merchandise that we've got. I mean, we've got like several different T-shirt designs and we've got you know, phone cases and mugs and, and hoodies. I mean, we just sold a hoodie this morning. And I love it. If you guys want to be a part of it, just, yeah, go to uh, tpublic slash user slash Unleashed Plus, and you can get your you can get your stuff there. And then let us know. We'll put a picture of it on the podcast. It's, it's yeah, yeah. We're, we're doing, I feel like we're doing some fun things. You know, I yeah. got to tell you, I went, had, uh, we celebrated our family Christmas this past weekend. And son came home from Colorado. And on Sunday, he and I went, uh, he, he was my movie partner. We loved going to movies together. But we went to see The Iron Claw. And I thought it was appropriate for me to wear my AWA Unleashed hoodie. And I actually had two people comment about it and say, hey, great sweatshirt. Where did you get it from? Well, you know, I'm, I'm part of it. And they looked and it was like, aren't you? And I go, no, I'm not Mick Karch. Aren't you? No, I'm not Chris Tubbs. Well, they go, who else is there? I'm like, well, bleep out. No, I'm kidding. I'm kidding. They didn't say that. Yeah. But they did comment on the AWA Unleashed merchandise. So, hey, 
we're getting the word around. It's getting gooder by the minute. It's really gooder when you can get around. I mean, that's the best way to be gooder. Tubbs, I am begging you not to put the word gooder on a t-shirt. Please. You know, preeminent podcast is is one thing, but boy. We got preeminent over. Can I get gooder over? Of course you can. You can get anything. Challenge over you accepted. Want. Challenge accepted. It's your it's your show. I mean, you're the you're the brainchild behind this. And oh, you know, God. well, and now you know why we started at the bottom and now we're at the bottom. <laughs> we got a good show today. Don't go by the first eight minutes. <laughs> it's a it's a gooder <laughs> show. All right, yes. guys. With that, I'm gonna let you guys take it and uh I'm gonna get the pictures up, boys. Good, uh, good shiznit, as they say. We are uh, talking Nick Bockwinkle today. And, and Joe, uh, early on, one of the first podcasts that we did before you ever came on board, we did uh, kind of a tribute and honor to uh, Nick, uh, you know, just his overall career. But I, I, we've had a lot of people that were kind of latecomers to Nick and the AWA towards the end of his run. And they have said, hey, I know he was champion, he blah, blah, who did he wrestle? His resume in wrestling is second to none. And even me, you know, the, the old uh, Bockwinkle Brigade guy, I went through some of the statistics and the matches and the career. Just extraordinary. Well, people certainly and deservedly so remember Nick from his time in the AWA. But he had actually won championships in other territories and wrestled in other places before the AWA. So Mick, fill us in. I mean, give, give us a little bio background on, oh, look at Nick. Just a class act even back class then. Act. But, you know, but give, give us a little background on Nick's pre-AWA days. Uh, it, he did everything. I mean, before the AWA, Nick had been in wrestling for about 14, 15 years before he came to the AWA. That's a long stretch before you get the national recognition that he did as a world champion, both in singles and tag team. Uh, I think his his first match in Minneapolis itself, way before AWA territory, was 1956. So Nick was around a long time. To say he paid his dues, that, that's not really accurate because he won championships Everywhere he appeared, uh, East Coast, Hawaii, or West Coast, all over the place. The last two pictures that we have uh, shown here, the first one was Nick with the Georgia Championship belt. And this was kind of his swan song in Georgia. He lost the Georgia Heavyweight State Championship to Buddy Colt, who also wrestled as Cowboy Ron Reed back in the day. And that was kind of Nick's exit from the Georgia Territory in 1970. And then he came up to the AWA. But as you said, Joe, he won championships, tag team titles, individual titles. He had a stellar career, but he was always underneath the radar for some reason. You know, it was the the magazine, the publications. You might see Nick Bockwinkel's name. But it wasn't up there with the Luthes and Gene Kaniski and the Bruno Sammartinos of the world. When he came to the AWA, that's when things really started to blossom for Nick. But he did more than just win championships 
in other territories before he came to the AWA. Uh, you know, and maybe this is where he developed his from Beverly Hills, California. But Nick, uh, he made some TV appearances as well. He did. Uh, he was on the uh, Hollywood Squares, and I believe he was a, a prize winner there. He appeared in an episode of Hawaii Five O. He appeared on, I believe, one, maybe more episodes of The Monkees uh, back in the 1960s. So, you know, he always had that good-looking Hollywood-style guy uh, appearance to him, even though he was born and raised in St. Louis. Uh, so the the uh, from Beverly Hills, Hills, California, wasn't exactly right. But you mentioned, Joe, when, when he when he went into the Georgia Territory, in 1969-1970, that's when he adopted the kind of subtle heel persona, the California big shot that looked down his nose at everybody else. So he kind of honed that skill a little bit in Georgia and then full throttle uh, when he came to the AWA. And he was a net, he was a tremendous baby face going into that era, popular all over the world comes to Georgia, then the AWA, and he had the heel persona. And, man, nobody did it better. As he mentioned, he had won the Georgia State title, uh, many world championships and other ones. But you don't get to a championship match without wrestling other big stars. Exactly. Proving yourself, not only to the fans, to himself, but certainly to the promoters in order to get those championship match matches uh i mean he had edward carpentier was one of the guys um we got well bull Belinsky, who is in the awa there's carpentier this this is a list of some of the guys before as you said joe before nick won the awa heavyweight title he was here for almost well literally five years before he defeated Vern for the championship but let's take a look at some of the other guys there's your personal favorite Bull Belinsky. I remember well on television that was one of Nick's initial feuds, uh, very short-lived, uh, as it started in the AWA, and uh, he kind of dispatched Bull Belinsky not only on television, but also at the Minneapolis Auditorium and around the horn in the AWA. Kind of set the trend for the, the free fall for Bull Belinsky's career. This guy. Dr. Bill Miller, we've mentioned him on the on the previous podcast, the former Mr. M. He was one of the guys that Nick wrestled in the early 1970s era in the AWA before Nick won championships. They would bring guys in like out of the blue, just guys with names uh, to wrestle Nick Bockwinkle and build up Nick's credibility in the AWA. And there's a former champion, Mr. M, Bill Miller, that, that Nick beat. This is Paul Diamond. The original, the first Paul Diamond. The first Paul Diamond. And I didn't list this as one of Nick's greatest feuds because it didn't last that long. But it was one of Nick's first notable feuds. Uh, Diamond was in the AWA, kind of your classic milk toast baby face. And uh, they did an angle on television where Nick had injured uh, Paul Diamond in a match and allegedly hurt Paul Diamond's knee. So they're doing a promo with Marty O'Neill, and Nick is out there standing next to Paul Diamond. Nick says, do you mind if I stand next to you, sir? And uh, Paul Diamond is standing there on crutches, and Nick just kicked the crutch out 
from uh, from Paul Diamond, and all of a sudden it was only Nick Bockwinkle and Marty O'Neill uh, in the in the shot, and Paul Diamond went through a trapdoor, uh, <laughs> and of course Nick dispatched Paul Diamond, you know, in their series of matches around the horn. But that was really the first foray where people got a glimpse into uh, Nick Bockwinkle the heel, and God, I love this for so many reasons. That is Nick coming into the AWA area at the beginning, cutting one of his classic promos with Marty O'Neill, the late, great Marty O'Neill. And it has been said so many times, when Nick arrived on the scene, nobody had seen anything like him mm-hmm. in terms of the heel persona. Uh, he wasn't screaming, ranting, raving, shouting. He wasn't spitting. He wasn't doing a mad dog or a crusher. He was coming out and he was insulting everybody with million-dollar words from that little dictionary that he kept in his pocket uh, just before they turned on the camera to go out and do a promo. And and Nick, it was, you know, the, the humanoid lifers and the I'm better than you uh, personality, and it just infuriated the wrestling fans. And Nick's, his opening promo here in the AWA, you know, when Marty O'Neill said, what are you doing here? And he was talking about already getting into the ring with Vern Gagne. And Nick said, we have a saying in Hawaii, aloha when somebody is leaving. So I would like to say aloha, Vern Gagne. Mm. And uh, it took about five years, but he got the job done. But uh, just the mystique, the Bachwinkle mystique was on full display early on. Before we get into uh, a couple of more names here, Mick, you know, kind of his, his you know, early feuds before winning the title. You mentioned the, the interview with Paul diamond and just, you know, kicking out the, the crutch. It just, those little subtleties I feel are maybe things that go overlooked in today's day and age. Like you, you have to do something big in order to get over, get a reaction. It's just the little things that I feel can make a big difference. And, and sometimes less is more. And it almost seems like, that can almost have more of an effect than trying to do something grandioso. In this day and age, you know, with people coming off of balconies and hitting each other with light tubes and everything else and, you know, thumbtacks, you you know, you're going for the shock value. What Nick did to Paul Diamond back in the day was not only classic Nick Bockwinkle, but he did it in that Botwinkle way. He had the smirk on his face. And all he just says, can I stand next to you? And boom, you, you could kind of tell Nick's leg was moving a little bit. And then crash, boom, bah, uh, goes Paul Diamond. And, it, you know, and Nick would refer to Paul Diamond, you know, I'm sorry, I hurt your flamenco legs, you know, and, and things like that. And it was just, as you said, Chris, so easy, so subtle. But, man, it got over, and people hated him right from the very beginning. The simplicity of it. But it had such an impact on the angle, on the reaction to Nick Bockwinkle. That's what professional wrestling used to be. It certainly is completely different. Now, for better or for worse, everybody has their own take on it. But it certainly is different. Mick? The, the the next name that we have on this on the list of notable matches, um, this guy was um, shall we say not small, big old farm boy 
Haystacks Calhoun. Now, I don't remember him. He he was before my time, but let's talk about not only the feud, but give me a little background on Haystacks from what you remember. Haystacks Calhoun, they build him from Morgan's Corner, Arkansas, and I'm not sure there is such a place, but they, they build Haystacks at about 600 and some pounds. And this is, again, I, I didn't put this in Nick's greatest feuds because it wasn't really a feud. It was another one of those. Haystacks was kind of in and out of the territory. Haystacks had wrestled all over the world uh, prior to, you know, and, and this goes back to the, the 50s in the Minneapolis Territory. He wrestled everywhere, Madison Square Garden, every place there was, you know, a wrestling center, Haystacks Calhoun had been there. So he was one of these guys that they brought in to wrestle Nick Bockwinkle just to kind of fatten Nick's resume a little bit, you know, that he's beating all these guys, all these wrestlers. Do you really want to use the word fatten with Haystacks Calhoun? I don't mean to fat shame Haystacks Calhoun at all. Uh, Let's say plump up. They wanted to plump up. uh, That's gooder. Yeah, that's gooder. That's not Uh, gooder. The interesting thing about Haystacks Calhoun, after Nick had been here for a while, Haystacks Calhoun was the first loss on Nick's record in the Twin Cities, it was by disqualification. Uh, I didn't understand why in the world they did it because they took the feud nowhere else. Uh, but Haystacks got the disqualification victory. So the first blemish on uh, Nick Bockwinkle's uh, record, at least in the Twin Cities, was Haystacks Calhoun. Wow. So that's some of the, shall we say, uh, older talent or earlier feuds. Let's sort of let's jump ahead a little bit and talk about some other guys that uh, Nick worked with, not only here in the AWA, but in other territories. Uh, The first guy who uh, arguably one of the nicest guys in the business, but also one of the best wrestlers ever in the business. I'm talking about none other than Ricky, the dragon steamboat. Wasn't here in the AWA, of course. Uh, this was elsewhere, uh, and we're going to talk kind of extensively about how Nick not only represented the AWA in the confines of the AWA, but all over the world. He wrestled Ricky Steamboat. I know, Joe, you've actually got a, a list of guys uh, in other territories that Nick wrestled. And if you wouldn't mind, just kind of go over. Uh, and this is while Nick is wrestling in the AWA. He's doing this in NWA territory, WWF territory. Let's go over the list of some of the guys that uh, AWA fans might not realize Nick wrestled. As I'm looking at this list, uh, incredible. I mean, I I hate to use the term legends so loosely, but these guys are legendary. Ricky the Dragon Steamboat, uh, I, I always... We've got Bruiser Brody on there, but in the AWA, it was King Kong Brody, King Kong Bruiser Brody, Cowboy Scott Casey, Dr. D, David Schultz, Dirty Dick Slater, Bob Backlund, some guy named Ric Flair. You might have heard of him. Um, You've got, there's a... I'm looking at the list, a special mention of a Houston show in 1977 where Nick wrestled twice, a 20-minute draw with Jose Lothario, and then a one-hour draw with Terry Funk. 
I got to focus on that one. And I know, I, I believe we got pictures of Lothario and Funk. This was a, I believe it was a Houston show. And Nick came in and he wrestled Jose Lothario. There's Jose, uh, the trainer of Shawn Michaels, one of the guys that helped train Shawn. Uh, and he, Jose Lothario was a major star in Texas. I mean, he was over huge like Vern Gagne was here. Nick goes to the show and he wrestles Jose Lothario to a 20-minute draw. Well, Harley Race was scheduled to defend the NWA championship on that show. Harley no-showed. He allegedly missed a flight or something. So Terry Funk wrestled Nick Bockwinkle on the show. Nick wrestled twice. So not only does he go to a 20-minute draw with a, a legend in Lothario, but then he goes to a one-hour Broadway with Terry Funk on the same show and talk about enhancing the credibility, the luster, and the shine of the AWA. To me, uh, that show in Houston, I, I believe it was Houston, uh, was one of the shining lights in the history of Nick's career. And again, this is 1977. So he's, you know, he's already the AWA champion, but this just goes to show you that this guy would go into any territory. You mentioned Bob Backlund. He wrestled Backlund. He wrestled Ric Flair. And as you would expect when you have the old championship, uh, champion versus champion matches uh, back in the territory days, they were disqualifications or double countouts or whatever you have, but he went everywhere. And this is inclusive of Japan. And of course, in tag team action with Ray Stevens, they were the Florida state tag team champions. So I don't think we need to build a case for Nick Bockwinkle as one of, if not the greatest of all time, but he did it. He went everywhere and he was exemplary as a champion. He wasn't, secluded in the closet and wrestled 10 times a year as a lot of the champions will today nick was the real deal then we've got one more on the list that i want to talk to you about nick before we get into the notable matches and that is jerry the king lawler in memphis nick was down there several times but the note that i've got on our on our sheet i'm curious about it says five hundred dollars per punch What's that about? Interesting situation. Lawler, of course, the king of Memphis. And, you know, we talk about guys that are over in their own home territory. Uh, Lawler was a massive baby face. Nick came into the Memphis territory, and he had a series of matches with Jerry Lawler. And if you go on YouTube, I'm not going to, you know, spoil it with finishes or what have you, but Nick delivered one of his greatest promos. Because, he, you know, Jerry Lawler always did this fist off the top rope and he lowered his, you know, his, his singlet strap or whatever and started throwing rights and lefts. So Nick promoted and made a challenge to Jerry Lawler that he would wrestle him only if a guy was fined $500 for every punch that he threw. And uh, this, this is a great caveat, a great carrot to hang out there for the wrestling fans. And this is in Jerry Lawler's home territory, and it's in Jerry Lawler's wheelhouse throwing the punches. So, again, it's on YouTube, but legendary. But, again, Nick goes into the stronghold of another guy, you know, in his home turf in defense of the AWA. 
Wow. Incredible. Was there, do you know, Mick, was there ever any concern about going in and being the villain in an opposing territory when you've got such a beloved baby face like a Jerry Lawler? Because I, I got to imagine, like, that's got to be kind of an unnerving situation when you're going in and you're basically trying to manipulate the hometown hero and stack the deck against them in their backyard money you know i mean that's that's the key to it nick was such a professional again remember chris by the time he's wrestling jerry lawler he's done it all he's 20 years into the business or almost 30 years into the business and uh you know it was money it was absolute box office you know i i think when you're talking about real heat think of andy kaufman going into uh, into Memphis and wrestling Jerry Lawler. Well, well, Kaufman is cutting these promos, putting down the people of Memphis. You know, they're hillbillies. They're this, they're that. And that was that was how Andy Kaufman, you know, I'm a Hollywood star. Nick came in as Nick Bockwinkle. And that's all he had to do to get over with the fans as a heel. And as far as, you know, being worried about the fan reaction or whatever, nah, I, I don't think so. It was... You had two professionals going into the ring against each other in Nick and Lawler. Two ace, grade A professionals. What more can you say? You said that perfectly, Mick. So let's get on to some of Nick Bockwinkel's uh, notable title defenses. Uh, We've got Larry the Axe Henning. uh, The High Chief, Peter Mayavia. Rock's grandfather. Rock's grandfather. Uh, some guy, um, Andy the Giant. Oh, Andre the Giant. Andre the Giant, yeah. It, it, it's and, and Baron Von Raschke. No, it's George Clooney. George Clooney. I'm yeah, sorry. Thank you. Baron Von Raschke. I don't know what I was thinking of. <laughs> I, think, I think Baron Von Raschke wrestled somewhere in the early 60s. But... Um, it's interesting because the gist of this show was to be Nick's greatest feuds. So you mentioned Andre the Giant. You mentioned the Baron, Larry Hennig. These are great feuds that he had in the AWA, and it's all subjective. Anybody can say, hey, you know what, this was this feud was better than this one. I have kind of differentiated between, and I don't want to say run-of-the-mill feuds because none of them were, as opposed to the classic, longer-lasting, in-duration feuds that Nick had in the AWA. So I just want to make that real clear. And again, you get you can have your own opinion uh, when we talk about the greatest feuds that he had. I'm not going to put them in any particular order. And then some other names before we get into uh, the most important ones that we've picked out. The Barbarian, John Nord, Dino Bravo. Rufus R. Railroad Jones, Tito Santana, or as Jesse used to say, Chico Santana, Mike Graham, Brad Ringens. I mean, the, the, the list of talent that Nick wrestled against, not only in the AWA, but across, across the world, a who's who of professional wrestling. But let's switch over. There's There's... Two notable title switches that um, we didn't include in the AWA greatest feuds. One, I think, is self-explanatory. We've talked about it 
several times on this uh, on this up or on this show. Otto Vance and Jumbo Saruda. Let's start with Otto Vance and just touch base again. Why these were not the greatest matches in the world, Mick? They weren't the greatest matches, and they weren't exactly feuds because I think by definition. Uh, you're engaged with a guy for a period of months, even years, when you talk about legendary feuds. You know, you talk, think Crusher and Mad Dog Vashon, that type of thing. Otto Vance, we've talked about it so many times on this show. I, I personally never saw the star power in Otto Vance. I'm told by people who watched him in Europe and uh, in Germany and Austria, he was a big deal. I mean, he really was a big deal. And uh, Otto, of course, paid $50,000 to Vern Gagne uh, for a run as the AWA heavyweight champion to kind of increase his status uh, with what he was doing with his promotion and wrestling overseas. And this particular photo was when Nick regained the champion uh, championship from Otto Vance in Chicago. You see Bobby Heenan ecstatic there. He certainly wasn't ecstatic when he was included in on the finish when Nick dropped the title uh, to Otto Vance. Fortunately, in my opinion, uh, it was a short-lived title reign. Not even two months that Otto Vance had the championship before Nick uh, took it back. So Otto got the luster. He got the shine that he wanted from saying, I'm a uh, former AWA heavyweight champion. But as far as the long-lasting feud, it wasn't. It was kind of like uh, here and gone. Um First thing to first comparable thing that comes to mind to my mind anyway of Otto Vance winning was like Buster Douglas beating Mike Tyson. Uh, it's like how, what, why, when, and where. But the other guy that I had brought up was, uh, in my opinion, the exact opposite of an Otto Vance. Otto was a big plotting. I don't really consider him a wrestler. But Jumbo Saruda, Jumbo was an accomplished, accomplished Japanese wrestler. This is another one of those situations. And again, uh, this is from my perspective. So if somebody has a, you know more deep knowledge of this, uh, feel free to let us know. Uh, the AWA had a nice working relationship with Japan. And a lot of times, a lot of the AWA guys whether it was the High Flyers or whoever, Nick, right? They would go to Japan, and then some of the Japanese wrestlers would come here. The title change, uh, Nick dropping the title to Jumbo Saruta in Japan, kind of came out of the blue again. I always saw that as Vern's attempt to, not that he had to, but to legitimize the status of the AWA champion and championship. And it's global recognition. So Jumbo Saruta won the championship in Tokyo from Nick Bockwinkle. Of course, you know, Lord James Blears, who was, you know, behind the scenes, a, a longtime friend of Nick's, uh, was one of the promoters that put this together. Terry Funk, who we mentioned earlier, was the special referee uh, for the match. So when all of a sudden Jumbo Saruta wins this championship from Nick Bockwinkle, Nick has everything to complain about. You know, it was a Japanese crowd. Lord James Blears has always hated me. Terry Funk wants to take my head off. I didn't stand a chance. Uh, and it was a nice transition, of course, for Rick Martell 
than to turn around and win the championship from Jumbo Saruta. But that's why, again, you know, when you talk about how can you leave out two championship changes in Nick's career? Because they were blips on the radar. They really weren't long-lasting feuds. So let's get into the list of the most important AWA feuds that Nick Bockwinkle had. Starting off with a guy who I remember, in fact, what I remember about him is that I wasn't, how do I put this? I liked him as much as I liked the crusher. And I'm talking about Hercules Cortez. Hercules Cortez, who came into the AWA, I believe he, I know he was feuding with Crusher as early as 1963. Uh, Crusher was still a heel and Hercules was a baby face. We're fast forwarding to about 1970 uh, when Hercules and Red Bastine, who I know is another guy that I've got on uh, the list of Nick's greatest feuds, came into the AWA territory. And this wasn't so much a singles feud as it was a tag team feud with uh, Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkle. And uh, the, uh, again, the interesting thing about this, from a singles point, singles standpoint, Nick is scheduled to wrestle Hercules Cortez in a singles match July 24th, 1971 in Minneapolis. They had wrestled the night before in Winnipeg. And Hercules was making the drive home to Minneapolis from Winnipeg. And unfortunately, uh, tragically, uh, fell asleep at the wheel. Uh, Red Bastine was a passenger in the vehicle. Hercules uh, met his demise. Sadly, Red, of course, survived. But it's notable in, in the sense that Bockwinkle and Stevens really got on the map uh, against Hercules Cortez and Red Bastine. And again, here's another thing about the Hercules Cortez situation with Nick. When Cortez is killed in the accident, they had a show again the next night, Minneapolis. Vern Gagne substituted for Hercules Cortez at the last minute. Card went on as scheduled. Vern went into the ring, non-title match against, Hercu uh, against Nick Bockwinkle. Ray Stevens makes his AWA debut and, you know, and, and appears and uh, interferes in the match. Nick goes over in a non-title match. So there were so many moving parts to that situation with not only Hercules Cortez, uh, but Red Bastine. And I, I think I incorrectly stated uh, earlier on as far as the date for uh, Bastine and Cortez uh, losing the championship and so forth. But, uh, Again, this is 1971 July, and this is Red Bastine. And Red and Nick outside the ring were tremendous friends. They absolutely loved each other. And as a matter of fact, Red Bastine, former member or president of the Cauliflower Alley Club, was succeeded by Nick Bockwinkle in that role. Uh, but they had a great feud. Their singles matches, you talk about two technicians and they built it up on television so beautifully. Uh, Nick ran uh, Red Bastine's head into a steel ring post during a television match on TV. And again, back in the day, steel ring post, my God, that is as, you know, as over as uh, fallen from the balcony today. Uh, Red was beloved here in the AWA and the Twin Cities. And, and because of that and the duration of their back and forth, to me, 
both Cortez and Bastine, a legendary feud with Nick. So Nick and I got to say Ray were involved with another young up-and-coming tag team by the High Flyers. And I remember so vividly the very first match of the High Flyers versus Nick and Ray. Um, Bobby the Brain, or it wasn't Bobby the Brain yet, I believe. or maybe he called he, himself the brilliant one. He, thank and you. And gorgeous Bobby. Yes. He, that, that match was phenomenal, but it led to a very long feud where Nick had singles matches against both Greg and Jim. And of course, Bobby or uh, uh, Ray and Nick with Bobby in the corner. Sometimes Bobby was in the match, but Nick was such an integral part of those matches. These are, oh my gosh, the memories are just flooding in. I put these, uh, the high flyers in as Nick's greatest feuds, not only for the duration because they went several years, but because of the quality of the matches. First of all, I think that the addition to Bobby of Bobby Heenan uh, to Ray Stevens and Nick Bockwinkel, of course, was magic. It also elevated the high flyers uh, to a status in wrestling overnight. They were sensations. So the matches, the tag team matches that Nick and Ray and, you know, any combination against the Flyers were stellar. But the singles matches that Nick had, both against Jim Brunzel and Greg Gagne, to me, were some of his best in the AWA. Jim Brunzel went to a couple of hour draws around the horn with Nick Bockwinkel. Some of the greatest singles matches that I've ever seen, and I mean that sincerely, uh, you know, in this day and age of near falls 40 times a match, Nick Bockwinkle and Jim Brunzel would have the near fall after they had been in the ring for 35, 40 minutes. Uh, just extraordinary. And Jim Brunzel has said himself that Nick Bockwinkle wrestling Nick one-on-one -on -one is what really made him a professional wrestler. He knew that he had made it if he could hang with Nick. As far as Greg Gagne is concerned, I'm not even going to dignify the denigrating comments that are made about Greg Gagne as a worker in wrestling. When we talk about his matches with Nick, when Nick Bockwinkel said that some of my greatest matches were against Greg Gagne because it was like a night off, Greg was that good and that smooth, and the matches just flowed so beautifully. Uh, the feud went on for a long time, and again, singles or tag team, Nick against Brunzel and Ganya, absolutely legendary and, and deserved to be among his greatest feuds in the AWA. We're going to take a hard 180 in the next couple, I wouldn't call them classic <laughs> matches, um, in the vein of going against uh, Greg and Jim, but you see him on the screen, Mad Dog. Of course... Great matches, but I wouldn't say great scientific matches. No, no. And there's the apprentice carpenter uh, right there. Apparently, <laughs> taboot. Yeah, Taboot. Uh, Mad Dog Vashon, of course, when he wrestled Nick, uh, Mad Dog was the baby face. And, uh, you know, which is incredible, you know, that you have a, you know, a, a wild uh, pit bull that bites and scratches everybody, you know, is the baby face and the one the crowd is cheering. Uh, 
But Nick would always say, I'm not going to lower myself to get in the ring with Mad Dog Vashon. I never signed to wrestle an animal. You know, that I, I signed to wrestle a human being. But, Dog, if you want to get down and dirty and if you want to get into the trenches, I can do it as well as you can and blah, 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 blah. Fantastic matches. And I'm, I'm telling you, when the dog would bite and rip and scratch at Nick's back, the crowd absolutely erupted. And, you know, Bobby Heenan had the great line, you know, Nick's going to wrestle uh, Mad Dog, and it's going to be on a Thanksgiving event. And Bobby Heenan came out and said, here's how you prepare dog. You know, you, you kick his teeth out, and when he's, you know, down on the mat, choking on the two teeth that he has, you put the boots to him. And that's how you you know you beat Mad Dog Vashon. And then you add stuffing to the Mad Dog. And, you know, that's how you get your Thanksgiving dinner. Legendary feud and the way Nick put over being terrified of Mad Dog Vashon. Tremendous. Scared of Mad Dog? And I got to believe he had a little bit of, I, well, not a little bit, but fear from another brawler. Different vein than Mad Dog, but I'm talking about the one, the only Doug Crusher. Crusher and Nick Bockwinkle, again, when you talk about Nick's legendary feuds in the AWA, Crusher is right up there. The guy, uh, Crusher, of course, referred to Nick as Hoodwinkle Jerkwinkle. And, uh, you know, and of course, Bobby was the weasel in the corner. Nick and Crusher had some legendary matches. You know, Nick would refer to Crusher as the saloon goon and, you know, the so on and so forth, denigrating the, the common man. And they had a, a cage match uh, in the Twin Cities area. I will never forget this. Uh, Crusher went over, pinned Nick in the cage. It was uh, not for the championship. But Nick took what I saw as one of the first back bumps from, I believe, the top rope. Uh, Crusher ran Nick's head into the cage, and Nick fell uh, straight back. And I just uh, yeah, I hadn't seen much of that before. And my God, at the time, it was just sensational. But yeah, Hoodwinkle, Jerkwinkle, and uh, legendary Crusher Bachwinkle feud. And we're going to do another hard 180 now. And another feud that he had was against, well, people like to refer to him as a model wrestler. I'm talking about Rick Martell. Now, before you get on, Mick, just knowing the talent between these two and seeing those matches, phenomenal. Extraordinary. And Rick Martell, again, Joe, we've talked about him. Maybe the most underrated AWA champion of all time. In the ring from a technical technical standpoint, he could do it all. And I know he beat Nick in a couple of non-title matches around the horn. Uh, never actually beat Nick for the championship. Came close. Uh, but there they are, and what a great shot. And, man, does this exemplify the brotherhood of professional wrestling. That's several years ago at Cauliflower Alley Club. Uh, Nick Bockwinkle and Rick Martell both long since retired at that point. But their matches were absolutely magical. And, uh, again, if you get an opportunity to go on YouTube and you watch the honest-to-God heat and response from the crowd uh, Nick is the heel, Martell is the baby face. It's, it is one of the greatest feuds in the AWA. And mutual respect right up the gazoo from, uh, from both these guys. We're going to go back a few years before the Rick Martell feud. And 
this is one I remember so vividly how the turn happened, and that is Ray the Crippler Stevens, longtime tag team partner of Nick Bockwinkle, a part of the Bobby Heenan family. But because that damn Bobby Heenan wouldn't let him talk, Ray flipped, and of course, the feud with Nick Bockwinkle began. Broke my heart. <laughs> you know, <laughs> even, even as, uh, you know, insider or whatever in the business, Nick and Ray, my favorite tag team of all time. And as you said, Joe, they kind of did an angle on TV where, where Ray was kind of being ostracized from the Heenan family. So uh, Bobby Heenan would lead the interview and let everybody else say something. Uh, you know, Bobby Duncan, Bockwinkle, uh, Lanza, whatever, but he wouldn't let Ray talk. And then, of course, it, it blows up when uh, Bobby Heenan is getting his manager of the year trophy on television from Bill After, and he interrupted Ray one time too many. And Ray gave him a backhand across the face and broke uh, Bobby Heenan's trophy over the ring post, and uh, the rest is history. They ganged up on Ray. Nick and Ray had a feud one-on-one -on -one for a, a, a stretch in the AWA, and Ray again was the babyface. And what's interesting about this, Joe, a couple of years later, Bockwinkle and Stevens reunited in the AWA, and the feud was never mentioned, like <laughs> it never happened. Uh, the, the old wrestling fans don't remember what they had for lunch. This feud, this match, never happened. Nick and Ray have been a tag team cons you know, for 20 years without any interruption. But a great, great, great feud, and Ray was a funny, funny baby face. He had that gruff baby face tone, uh, but again broke my heart at the time. I thought you were going to talk about that guttural, infectious oh, laugh of Ray's. Oh. I can still hear that coming out of a 50-plus-old something, and it sounded just like a teenager because that was Ray's mentality right up to the very end. Next one we've got on our list, what I remember about it is this was the first time I ever even considered cheering for Nick Bockwinkle, and it's against... Adnan LKC, the first time I ever heard anybody even cheer for Nick Bockwinkle. This was a brilliant promotional move. Uh, Vern Gagne had just retired, and this is kind of simultaneously Adnan is making a name for himself in the AWA, uh, the madman from Baghdad, Iraq, anti-American through and through. Vern had retired, and they gave the championship back to Nick. Stanley Blackburn, the old figurehead of the AWA, decided that a tournament to determine the uh, champion that would succeed Nick uh, uh, Vern Gagne was out of the question. Logistically, you couldn't do it. Why not in one night? I don't know. But that's, you know, Stanley Blackburn's mentality. They gave the championship back to Nick and the fans weren't happy. And in order to have the fans kind of forget that that ever took place, another one of those strange AWA decisions, they had Nick feud with Adnan LKC. And there's a shot. That is from, I believe, their first match. And what was brilliant, again, in the execution, Bobby Heenan comes to the ring with Nick Bockwinkle. They booed Bobby Heenan at the introduction, and they cheered for Nick. Not wildly. They still weren't real positive. But Adnan was so hated that Bach got cheers. They... Did the setup where 
Abnon hit Bobby Heenan with his sword prior to the match. Bobby exits stage left, goes back to the locker room. He's injured. He's not in Nick's corner for most of the match. He reappeared at the end of the match. But with just Nick in the ring and no Bobby Heenan, the fans were free to cheer Nick Bockwinkle, and they did. I think Nick and Adnan had a series of four matches here in the Twin Cities area, but uh, great, great stuff. Yeah, I mean, that, that picture was good representation, but I don't think that was from the actual feud because I saw Earthquake Ferris, Marty Janetti, and ah, Gary Derusha in the shot. And that we're, we're talking mid-80s on that shot. Good but the, the angle that you had described was exactly it. The next one is uh, some guy who did pretty well for himself in professional wrestling. And he was a part of... I believe the largest house ever in the AWA. Yes, even bigger than Wrestle Rock when you include the closed circuit next door in the St. Paul Auditorium. You know the guy on the right, some guy named Hulk Hogan. When people talk about the AWA, they list this particular series of matches and this match itself as maybe the turning point in the AWA. You know, you've got the people who insist if Vern Gagne would have put Hulk Hogan over Nick Bockwinkel and given Hogan the strap, Hogan would have never left for the World Wrestling Federation. Yes, ladies and gentlemen, he would have. It was inevitable, and we've talked about that ad nauseum. Uh, this particular match was as close to a riot, Joe, as I can remember at the St. Paul Civic Center. Uh, the finish, Lord Blears, who took two horrible-looking bumps uh, in that match, and I mean horrible from a give-me-a-break standpoint. Uh, you know, he looked like a leaf falling from a tree in, in the autumn uh, onto the floor. Uh, Lord Blears does not see uh, Nick Bockwinkle uh, throwing uh, Hulk Hogan over the top rope. Uh, Hulk comes in and gets the pin. Stanley Blackburn. Once again, Stanley is sitting there at ringside, and he saw Nick Bockwinkle throw Hulk Hogan over the top rope before Nick ever scored the winning, or Hogan ever scored the winning pinfall over Nick. So the match should have been stopped at the point that Nick threw Hogan over the top rope. The crowd went ballistic. I mean, you got nineteen thousand people, as you said, in the building, and then closed circuit TV. They were livid. Did it make a difference in terms of the AWA's longevity? Probably not. But I'll tell you what, for the short term, fans were pissed and really pissed off. And about a year later, Hogan's gone and he went to the WWF. Arguably the most important match of Nick's career uh, or important feud in the AWA. Uh, the next guy on our list actually made, made it to Hollywood. The feud, uh, well, the feud didn't, but this guy did. And I'm talking about the movie of The Wrestler, and that was against Vern Gagne. But everybody wanted to see Nick and Billy Robinson. I've said many times, and people uh, close to the business or workers in the business have said, the most believable feud in the AWA was that of Billy Robinson and Nick Bockwinkel. Hard-hitting, stiff, tight, 
snug, whatever you want to say, uh, they had you believing even if you were in the business. And they had a feud for the longest time, both in singles and tag team, of course. Ray Stevens referring to uh, Robinson as the cockeyed coal miner. <laughs> uh, but Nick and Billy talk about a clinic. Nick would take some of those one-arm backbreakers from Billy Robinson, and honest to God, you would wince. You knew it was a work, but how the hell are these guys doing it? And, you know, and, and the old adage again, or the old uh, story, what do you want to do tonight, Billy? That was the best way to get along with Billy Robinson, go in the ring and get the job done, do whatever he wanted. Billy never crashed the nugget in the AWA in terms of winning the heavyweight championship. Vern didn't trust him. If Billy didn't want to give the title back, who's going to take it off of him? Um, but great, great feuds, uh, great matches. To me, the best series of matches Nick had in the AWA were with Billy Robinson. Next one on our list, we had talked about the the turn of Ray the Crippler Stevens and the Heenan family. Another turn happened when the spudhead, Larry Zabisco, took the nunchucks to Nick Bockwinkle. I was actually a part of the AWA when that happened. It was at the Tropicana in Atlantic City. If anybody was going to get Nick over as a baby face, it was Larry Zabisco. <laughs> uh, you know, back in the day, it was Adnan, but boy, at the time, uh, the AWA is starting their decline a little bit, and Larry Zabisco, arguably the number one heel in the AWA, people detested this guy. And Nick, of course, is doing commentary from that match uh, with uh, uh, our friend Doug McLeod at ringside. And all of us, and then Larry Zabisco and, and Greg Gagne, and Larry has pulled out the nunchucks to use on Greg Gagne. And Nick, from his commentary table, all of a sudden had a, a, a ray of goodness, uh, you know, after all the years in the business. And he said, Larry, you can't use the nunchucks. And he got into the ring and tried to uh, stop Zabisco from using the nunchucks on Greg Gagne. Uh, Larry clocked Nick with the nunchucks, one of the greatest back bumps I've seen. Straight back, Nick went out like a light. Uh, again, it's on YouTube. you got to see it. Uh, effectively, at that point, that was the Nick Bockwinkle babyface turn for the duration of his career in the AWA. Great, great stuff. I'm trying to remember mm. if that feud was when Nick first introduced the whip or if it was against our next wrestler on the list. And that is Stan the Lariat Hansen. And before I throw it over to you, Nick, do yourselves a favor, everybody that's watching here. April of 1986, Wrestle Rock, Nick Bockwinkle, 50-something years old. Take a look at the match. It wasn't the greatest match, but take a look not only at the match, but at Nick's post-match interview. And that'll just give you a small taste of the greatness of Nick Bockwinkle. Stan the Lariat Hansen, one of the greatest heels in wrestling. Joe, I know you saw the guy close up. You talk about a believable heel. My God. Uh, you know, the, the fact that he couldn't see two feet in front of him. <laughs> when he was whipping that, uh, you know, that, that rope and the bell and everything else. Um, again, solidifying Nick as the babyface. Uh, Nick, of course, is going to wrestle Stan Hansen uh, in Denver. 
Stan is the champion, having defeated Rick Martell, and the AWA informed Stan Hansen that he is going to lose the championship that night to Nick. Uh, Stan walked out of the building and sent the AWA championship belt back to the AWA office. A little bit the worse for wear. What started out as metal wound up as tinfoil. Uh, but, but their matches were tremendous. And again, you hit it right on the head. Nick is, you know, he's approaching the twilight years of his career. But he hung in there with Stan Hansen. And he looked good doing it. And it's a great match and a great feud. And I think over the years, Nick and Stan, being the professionals that they were, kind of patched up whatever, you know, personal animosity they had over that. Uh, but, again, legendary, legendary establishing Nick as he goes kind of riding off into the sunset as one of the great baby faces at the time. No list talking about Nick Bockwinkle's greatest feuds for in the AWA would be complete if we did not bring up the boss, Vern Gagne. First of all, look at that. Look at Vern's arm. Tell me that's not under the chin, Joe. Come on. <laughs> I mean, that that's not on the chin. That's under the chin. Uh, and <laughs> Vern is looking over at the cameraman as if to say, don't get a shot of this. Um, but that's clearly a chokehold. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, <laughs> I don't even want to call this a feud because they wrestled sporadically. And they didn't have like one match after another uh, against each other. Um, from from about 1970-ish uh, to about 1980-ish, there were two champions in the AWA. It was Fern Gagne and Nick Bockwinkle. And that was it. Uh, you know, they traded championships. Uh, not really a feud again, but the way they built it up all the time. You never knew because Nick was so damn good if he was going to be the guy to take the championship off of Vern Gagne. As I said, Nick came here in November of 1970. He paid his dues. He had tag team championships. But Vern didn't give up the belt to Nick until November 1975, a full five years later. And he gave the belt to somebody he knew he could trust who had been with the company for a length of time, who was professional, who was going to do the right thing at all times, and the rest is history. Nick, to me, the greatest AWA champion ever, but I give Vern Gagne credit. He and Nick worked so closely together behind the scenes. Their relationship was one of trust and respect, uh, regardless of what they said on uh, television, where Nick would say, you got to take those track shoes off at some point, Vern Gagne. You got to quit running. Give me my championship match. But uh, great, great stuff. The it's a testament, I think, to the time period in wrestling, too, though, Mick, where a feud could last not just a few months, but we're talking years between yeah. Nick and Vern. And last but not least, uh, there was a match of, of these two. I've said it before on here. It is one of the greatest matches I've ever seen. I believe this was from Super Clash 3, looks like. I believe but, you're correct. But yep. the match I'm referring to was the one that set this one up for the title change. And it was Kurt Henning against Nick Bockwinkle from the showboat, a one-hour time limit draw. And do yourselves another favor. Look it up on YouTube. It is 
I, I might even put it as the greatest match that uh, that I've ever seen. Certainly the greatest match that I was a part of as far as production goes. Joe, you know, they, they talk about the Ric Flair, Ricky Steamboat series uh, in the NWA, which, of, of course, was classic um, in terms of not only the magnitude of it, but what you saw in the ring. But Nick and Kurt, this was really the coming out of Kurt Hennig as a bona fide heel in the business. The match that you're referring to, I believe Nick is 54 years old or 52 years old at the time. And Kurt is probably 20, 25 years younger. And they go to this one-hour Broadway, and they both gig. They're both bleeding, and the crowd is on their feet, nonstop, back and forth. And, of course, the match goes to the time limit draw. But honest to God, if you said it best. You want to take a look at professional wrestling as art. This is the match to look at. Bockwinkle and Hennig, that one-hour draw. It had everything Kurt was on the verge of winning the AWA championship, and he's still a babyface, mind you, at this time. Uh, he didn't win the title for about another year, as I recall, uh, when he was a heel. But this really was the coming out party for Kurt Hennig. And Kurt has said many times, I can't believe it. You know, Nick Bockwinkel's 25 years older than I am, and my tongue is hanging out, you know, halfway through the match, and I'm telling Nick, take it easy, slow down. And, uh, you know, Nick got a tremendous kick out of that. But, again, in terms of single matches, that might have been Nick's greatest single match ever in the AWA. So a quick note on that before we wrap things up here. Uh, and, again, I've said it before, but if you watch the match, at the end of it, they're both bleeding profusely. We're at an hour into the match. The crowd, Nick or Kurt's got Nick in a figure four leg lock. The camera keeps cutting back and forth on close-ups. Rod Trongard is just talking about doing this fa usual fantastic job. And even then, that was the beginning of the microwave is still too long world. The crowd, after nearly an hour, are still popping for this match. I, goosebumps just thinking back at how good that match was. Pure greatness. Absolute greatness. And again, that may have been the springboard for Kurt Hannig on a national level. I think that match was as gooder as it got, Chris. Hmm. That was one of the, the gooder matches that I can remember. <laughs> you know, the, the one word that comes to mind that as we're kind of going through this and, and I was looking at all the pictures and I was, you know, hearing you guys tell the stories, I guess the one word that comes to mind with the range of people that he worked with versatility. Oh, that is why, you know, and, and of course I'm biased, but that's why I say when you're looking at the world champions of all time, whether it's Ric Flair, Bruno Sammartino, Hogan, Bockwinkle stands alone because his matches were different. If you saw one Ric Flair match, you know he's going to miss from the top rope. You know he's going to he's going to do the face plant. You didn't get that with Bockwinkle. Whether it was Rufus Jones, Bruiser Brody, Mad Dog, he adapted his style to whoever it was that he was wrestling. Truly a champion who could do it all. 
Can't say it any better than that. All right, guys, let's uh, give some shout outs and then we will wrap it up and take it home. Uh, Mick Kirch, you go first. Winnipeg's own Marty Goldstein. Uh, Marty, a longtime fan, Winnipeg, Canada, of course, an old AWA stronghold. Marty watches the podcast diligently, pays very close attention to those names, dates, and places. Uh, Marty, love you. Uh, stay warm up there, pal. It's coming. <laughs> Unfortunately. My shout-out goes to a longtime AWA fan. Known him for years. Bruce Uppis. Upper, thanks for watching and listening. And uh, mine's going to go to Paul Neely. Paul is the latest individual to uh, sign up for our membership program. And if you want to be a part of it, like Paul, super duper easy, you guys. Uh, just go to the YouTube page, and what you'll do is just hit the join. And when you join, I'm going to bring up the uh, I'm going to bring up the the graphic here one more time, and that's what you get, guys. Uh, body slam and the the pinfall, pinfall. You get access to the podcast a day early, uh, exclusive monthly uh, video watch alongs with updated commentary. Like Mick had said earlier, think Mystery Science Theater 3000 uh, meets AWA Unleashed. Oh, my God. I can't even imagine what that's going to be like. We're going to do our first one here uh, coming up very shortly. Our subscribers, our uh, regular subscribers, won't have access to it. But if you become a member, uh, you will have access to that, plus monthly live chats, uh, plus when you do uh, email podcast at gmail.com, and I will get with your name and your address, and I will get something in the mail to you personally from me on behalf of uh, of everybody else. And by the way, guys, uh, one more time, we have a new line of AWA Unleashed merch. Uh, it's at uh, tpublic slash user slash Unleashed Plus. And one of the things uh, I want to uh, I want to shout out here, guys, is our friend Matt Kessling. And uh, this is uh, this is his. His art, he's the one that drew it, but uh, we put it on wow. a T-shirt. Look at how good that looks. Look at how good that looks. That's a good-looking man and a good-looking T-shirt right there. You know, it really is, and I'm looking at myself up there in the upper right-hand corner, and that guy looks at least 80, 90 years old. I am not that young, so I really appreciate it, Matt, that you put me over that way. I've got more gray than you, and you've got me by, well... Well, Chris, said. Keep, keep it going, Chris. Will you please? <laughs> oh, Mick, who loves you? Not me. <laughs> <laughs>